Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Oh, got it, got it, got it! 33! Center field, Marsh leaps, and he got it! Normally, high fly ball, deep left field. Oh, 27 does it again for this year. Wall sends it well out to left center field, and it's gone. He went to Jared. Way diving catch, Jordan. This is Brandon Marsh, the Los Angeles Angels baseball. You listen to All Angels podcasts. And welcome to another edition of the All Angels Podcast. I am your host, Daniel Garcia. So the Angels just finished a three-game series with the Houston Astros. Unfortunately, they were only able to pick up one victory out of the three. I guess if there is a little bit of glass half full with this series, there's been so many times so far this year, especially of late, that the Angels go into a series against these better teams, the Astros, the Yankees, um, you know, you kind of you can name it, uh, Boston, where at times it just seems like they are overmatched, and at times it doesn't seem like they are anywhere in this in a ball game. You can go back and look at both losses this series against the Houston Astros, and if one or two things break differently, it could be a sweep for the Angels. And I know there's no such thing as moral victories, especially at this point in the season where. Real victories are a must-need when you are in the hole the Angels are in right now. But for a team that's looking for some kind of bright spot, some kind of momentum, some kind of things to go right in this series, it definitely seems like it's pointing in the right direction. If it was a team that wasn't in first place, maybe a second, third, or fourth place team that they played and had this kind of output, you could be very easily looking at a sweep. But the Houston Astros are good. The Houston Astros have players. I mean, you can say what you want about them and you can talk about the history and all that stuff and you are perfectly able to do that. But at the end of the day, the Houston Astros continue to put very good players out there, very good teams out there, and the Angels were able to be competitive in all these games against the Houston Astros. Now they have the Dodgers coming up, so let's see if that carries over to that series. But before we get to there, let's talk a little bit about this three-game set that started on Tuesday night with Noah Syndergaard on the mound. And Noah Syndergaard is a guy that if the Angels are going to trade, be sellers at the trade deadline, he's one of the guys that has the most value that the Angels currently have on their roster. And for a couple reasons, I think. One, everyone needs pitching. All the teams need pitching, starting pitching, bullpen pitching. Real contenders will never turn down pitching. And if Noah Syndergaard puts three, four games back-to-back together, Uh, that are really good right before the trade deadline, he can be a hot piece to be moved around at the trade deadline if 
the angels go that way. And also, too, it's Noah Syndergaard. It's a name. Wherever he goes, if he goes anywhere, you got to believe that the fan base for that team is going to have a little pop in them, and they're going to be a little more interested in the team. And, you know, maybe financially for the owner and for the team, it benefits them because now they made a move to get Noah Syndergaard, ooh, to get Thor. Thor's coming to town. So, but for all that to be, you know, worth worth it for a team to trade Noah Syndergaard, he has to be doing uh, well on the mound. And Noah has had, in my eyes, one real big kind of hiccup when it comes to his performances this year. And it's been with runners on base. And like I mentioned, on Tuesday, he was a starting pitching, and that really showed up in the very first inning. When to start the game off, he ends up walking Jose Altuve. And shortly after that, Jose Altuve, Jose Altuve still second base. And at that point, in so many other games, it seems like Noah Syndergaard gets kind of distracted by the guy on base, him possibly stealing third or him, you know, getting a really good lead and just does not seem to really focus and hone in on the guy at the plate. So the very next batter would end up taking him over the wall to give the Houston Astros a 2-0 lead. And like I mentioned, he just seems to be doing uh, it's so night and day when he does and doesn't have hitters or runners on base. He gets out of that first inning. The Angels actually end up cutting that lead in half when the bases are loaded for Jared Walsh in the bottom of the first. He he fields he goes into a fielder's choice, which ends up scoring a run from third again to cut the lead two to one. But that's all the Angels would get during this or during that bottom of the first inning the Astros would end up adding one more in the bottom of the third one again walks and just guys on base seems to really get to Noah Syndergaard after getting the two first two outs of the third inning Noah Syndergaard's um, control does seem to leave him we end up walking back to back batters and that allows Alex Bregman to get in hit a single to score one more run to make it three to one after that, Noah goes into the fourth inning, does fine in the fourth inning, but then ends up, that's it for him. He only goes four total innings for the Angels. And again, if you're thinking about even trading him at the deadline, he definitely needs to start putting more uh, longer outings out there, better outings out there. He is only able to go four innings, three hits, three earned runs, four walks, which is a angel high for him over this last year three strikeouts, and that one home run, bringing his ERA up to four flat. So Noah Syndergaard doesn't necessarily leave the Angels in the best spot, but the Angels would actually really make this a game because in the bottom of the seventh, because of some uh, sloppy defense from the Houston Astros, the Angels were able to put up four runs, and it all started when Luis Renjifo, and say what you want, about Luis Renjifo, and he has been struggling, you know, in years past, earlier this year, but he is still very young, and I've said it before, he is a young player, and it seems now he's kind of seeming to be turning the corner, or at least now being a little bit more consistent. Uh, His glove is still kind of here and there, but his bat has seemed to be really heating up. Some people are saying he's the, you know, the hitter, the best hitter on the team right now, or the hottest hitter on the team right now. So he ends up taking a walk, and then a couple errors in the field by the Houston Astros has now the now allows the Angels to have the bases loaded, and Brandon Marsh comes to the plate. 
He ends up getting hit by the pitch, which scores a run to, at this point, make it 5-2 to two Houston. And again, this is all happening without really getting a... Uh, a hit, you know, you got guys on to putting in a play to getting air. So as far as like the hit column, you're not seeing any of those hits. Um, after that point, you have David McKinnon coming in to pitch hit for Monte Harris. David McKinnon, past guest of the All Angels podcast, would come out, come up with two outs and deliver with a base hit, which scores two, cutting the lead five to four. But that's not it. So again, this is all happening with one solid hit by David McKinnon. The very next batter up is Shohei Otani. And during his at-bat, the Astros would actually throw a wild pitch, allowing Brandon Marsh to score from third. Now the game is tied 5-5 with only one real hit that led to this four-run uh, seventh inning. So you look at this line score for the game. It is actually pretty crazy what the Angels were able to take advantage. And, and part of it, yes, you have to take advantage of mistakes. And they did that very well in that um, seventh inning. Shohei Otani would end up walking uh, and Taylor Ward would end up flying out, ending the seventh. But at least now the Angels are in the game. It is tied 5-5 uh, five, five going into the late innings. And it would stay that way all the way to the top of the ninth, where the Angels bring in closer Rossell Iglesias, which, you know, last year Rossell had a very all-star worthy type of season. I mean, there was times where he was coming in, and I think a lot of people remember the outing he had against, I believe it was Seattle at home at Angel Stadium, where he came in the eighth inning, no outs, bases loaded, in the worst jam you can think of, gets out of it, and then comes back in the ninth of that same game and closes it out. And it just does not seem like Rossell has been able to capture whatever that was last year, whatever that momentum, whatever that, you know, thing was last year. Some people say it's because he got paid. Some people say he's just a year older. But whatever it is, he just has not seemed to be the same guy as he was last year. And it really proved um, in this top of the ninth. He leads off the, the inning with a single from Jose Altuve, followed by a single by Alumnus Diaz. And after that, you know, Kyle Tucker doubles. So now you're looking at three straight base runners to reach in the ninth inning. And he's supposed to be your closer. So it was a very disappointing outing by Rossell. It, it brought up a lot of questions about what he what his mentality is or what's going on with him. It seemed like his velocity was really down during this outing. It didn't seem like anything came of it. They didn't say if it was because of X, Y, or Z. It just people noticed it with the velocity on the TV or in the stadium. But he would end up getting the next three guys out. But the damage was done, and the Angels were not able to score in the bottom of the first with a strikeout by Brandon Marsh, a ground out by Michael Stefanik, and a strikeout by David McKinnon. And the Astros would end up winning Tuesday's game 5 to six, And like I mentioned, if you look at the box score for the Angels, it is something you definitely don't see every day. Five runs on two hits and two errors for the Astros, also two errors for the Angels. So part of it is, yes, you have to take advantage of mistakes and the Angels did that. But at a certain point, you can't rely on the team to keep on making mistakes. And I think that's what happened. They were not able to really get any kind of groove going. And like I mentioned, the big hit by David McKinnon, um, was a huge factor of getting the game close in the seventh inning. But 
other than that one hit by him, the only other one you had was from Brandon Marsh earlier in the game. So it, it's never a good recipe to have a game with only two hits. But if you're able to somehow score five runs from it, you have to feel very lucky and you have to take advantage of it. And the Angels were not able to take advantage of a game where they were in, but they were not really probably supposed to be in. And they were in the season-long struggle with the strikeouts continued this series with this game. Angels striking out 12 times on Tuesday. So we flip the page. We go to Wednesday. And obviously, Shohei Otani's on the mound. Obviously, that gives the Angels the best chance to win a game against the Houston Astros. Shohei Otani, as of late, and if you have not seen the numbers or seen any of the posts, I mean, you can you can see it on Angels PR on Twitter. You can see it on MLB on Twitter. You can see it on yeah, Sports Center, ESPN, anywhere else on 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 Twitter or Instagram. And he is turning heads. He is doing stuff that I think even last year he wasn't even doing. And he won the MVP last year. Now, we'll see how it goes as far as turning this into W's. But what is very exciting to see, and I said this before, is that every time he takes the mound, as Angel fans, you have to feel really, really confident. He is pitching on a whole different level. I think he's pitching better now than he did last year, and that's saying something. You know, offensively, he hasn't been the same uh, than last year, but it, it's kind of crazy. He's better in one aspect, but not as good in the other aspect. But together, he's still a, the same kind of player he was last year, if that makes sense. But he ends up taking the mound Wednesday night. So a little roster movement happened before this game on Wednesday. On Tuesday's game, Mike Trout was actually taken out early, ended up being because of back spasms, not on the IL. As I record this on uh, Thursday night, no IL sent from Mike Trout. He just was not able to play on Wednesday and Thursday. So the corresponding move for the Angels is that they sent down Monte Harris, Harrison and brought up Joe Adele. Obviously, Joe Adele's been making tons of noise out in AAA and AAA Salt Lake. He's had a really good week. He's had actually a really good um, couple weeks, and he's been able to play better, or it seems like he's been able to play better outfield defense. And I know for the longest time, that was what the Angels and Angel fans were worried about. And over these last two games against Houston, he's done everything you can ask him for in an outfield position out in right field. He's made the routine catches. He's even made catches that might have really worried, you know, Angel fans last year or even earlier this year. But he was active for the game on Wednesday and he was in the starting lineup. So let's get to the review of the game. Again, like I said, Shohei Otani on the mound and he's a guy that you have to really watch him early, I feel. I feel like when he has things rolling, it's because he's He's out of the first inning. He gets the feeling for his pitches in the first inning. He's able to start rolling. The only time I see teams really getting to Otani and over this last month, you don't really see it a ton, but it's in the first inning when he's still trying to, you know, figure out the rhythm and figure out the flow and figure out what's what's working and what's not working for him. And it kind of showed a little bit in the first inning when he walked Jose Altuve to lead off the game. But he made very short work of that inning 
after that, striking out the next two and enforcing Alex Bregman into a ground out. The Angels would be on the board first in the bottom of the second with this Brandon Marsh bunt. Give me one. There's an opportunity. It's upstage foul. Oh, what a play. Safe at home. After a strikeout from Andrew Velasquez, Shohei Otani will come up to the plate and help out his own cause. Unreal. Otani drives that down the right field line. Help yourself out, big fella. One run comes in. Stassi scores. Otani digging for third. A two-run triple. Marsh scores. Three-nothing. Halos. Come on. Shohei Otani became the first Angels pitcher to have a triple since Nolan Ryan did. And part of that is very surprising for a couple reasons. A, is that it's really never been happened before, which I can actually, now that I think about it, I can can understand because of the AL. But another part of it, it's really shocking, is that there is another pitcher that did it, and, and it was Nolan Ryan, not necessarily known, A, for his bat, and B, for his speed. And I don't know when exactly this would happen, because I don't know why Nolan Ryan was... Batting, maybe if you're a, a little more of a historian than I am for, you know, back then, the situation was around it because it was it pre-DH. Is that why Nolan Ryan was batting? But anyways, Shohei Otani and Nolan Ryan are kind of synonymous now with the pitching aspect of Angels baseball, but now they also have something in common at the plate. And that would give the Angels a 3-0 lead after two. The only time the Houston Astros would ever get to Shohei Otani was in the fourth inning where he did again the walks are not as big as an issue as they were before with Shohei Otani early in his career but they still kind of uh peer poke up from time to time and in the fourth inning he again gives up a leadoff walk to Kyle Tucker and then some of those pitches obviously in that at bat that were called balls could have been called strikes so I understand at that point it, it probably shouldn't have been a walk but you know, when you have umpires behind the plate that are humans, you're going to deal with that human element. So for me, for one, I am ready for the robo-ump revolution whenever that comes to Major League Baseball. But after that, Kyle Tucker would end up stealing a base, which allows um, Yuri Gurriel to hit in him after a single and make the score 3-1. to one. But Shohei Otani would then strike out the next two batters to get out of that inning. And like I mentioned, that's the only runs Shohei Otani would give up. Only run, I'm sorry, that Shohei Otani would give up in this outing. He ended up going six innings pitched, giving up four hits, one earned run, walking two, and 12 strikeouts, doing all of that on 105 pitches. So pitch count definitely up there. I think it was a good move, even though it was only six innings. Of course, you would love to see Shohei Otani go deeper into games, but considering what the pitch count was and where the kind of the score was, you, obviously you never feel a hundred percent comfortable with the Angels bullpen right now. But all things considering, I think it was the right move to take Shohei out of the game at that point, especially after what happened in the bottom of the sixth inning, where he gets all he gets a bunch more <laughs> run support. So after a Brandon Marsh strikeout to start off. The inning, you get two sing two back-to-back singles by Andrew Velasquez and Shohei Otani, followed up by a Taylor Ward walk and Luis Renjifo. Again, a guy that has been really the hot bat so far this 
um, series and probably within the last week or so has had a really, really hot bat. Comes up to the plate again with the bases loaded and does this. Here's the 0-2. Oh, perfect. Base hit. Velasquez scores. Otani, your starting pitcher, slides into home. Two runs come in. Renifo delivers his third knock. 5-1. Halo. That's your number three hitter tonight. And then two batters later, recently called up, Joe Adele comes to the plate and delivers. As much as I want to see it, oh, that's hit hard. That's a rocket by Adele up the middle. That's going to score Ward. Another add-on run. Adele with some emotion. 6-1 Halos. After all that and adding one more run, the Angels would take a lead, leaving the sixth inning 7-1. to one. And that's exactly what the final score would be, 7-1. to one. You got Quijada coming in for one inning and Elvis Paguero coming in for two innings to finish off the game. Shohei Otani does it again. He is definitely a slump buster for the Angels. And unfortunately, he's only able to pitch once a week. If there was a way we could get him cloned and have him pitch five days a week, it would be great. But Shohei Otani, again, shows why he is an MVP and why he deserves all all the good accolades, all the good press, all the mind-blowing stats that come up every time he's he's at the plate or, or on the pitching mound. And you might see some some hate around uh, in Twitter saying that Shohei Otani is being forced down everyone's throat. But there's an, there's an old saying that, you know, they don't boo nobodies. And that's exactly what Shohei Otani. Shohei Otani is not a nobody. He is definitely someone that the Angels, and quite frankly, the Angel fans should be very fortunate to see out there because the stuff he's doing right now is unbelievable. And every time he takes the mound, you have to feel good about your chances of winning that game. And it just, it, it just really is, I guess the frustrating part of it is, if you're able to get any kind of help around him pitching-wise and just, I don't know, and, and don't get me wrong, part of it is his really good pitching, keeping the the visiting team or the opposite team, you know, runs down. But part of it, too, is that he's actually getting pretty good run support. You know, this game he got seven runs. Um, you know, other games, it, it, they haven't been, like, super close. And it just makes you wonder why th- – those runs are being created right now with Jess Otani. Is there something about him being on the mound that just gets everyone up? I don't, I don't know. And this crazy part of it is these seven runs, again, came without Mike Trout in the lineup. He was not available or he was, quote unquote, available to pitch hit. But you didn't need him to do so with a run output like that. But one thing, again, that's been a kind of glaring weakness, not only in this series, but so far this season, even with those seven runs, um, scored in this game you're still looking at 12 hits which is great but you're still also looking at 17 strikeouts it is literally feast or famine with these guys either they're getting on base and it's great or they're striking out and don't get me wrong I, and I said this before, strikeouts aren't the worst thing in the world. I can deal with with high strikeouts here and there but it just seems like they're taking it to the whole next level. It's like when you're driving a car and the speed limit's 60. Yeah, okay, you can go 70, 75. Okay, that's fine. You know, that's okay. It's not supposed to, but that's okay. But the Angels right now, strikeout-wise, are going like 100. It's like, no, that's too much. That's, you know, that's going a little bit too far. We give you a little bit of leeway, but 
that that's crazy. And I think that's kind of how it feels with the strikeouts. It's like, okay, if you strike out a little bit more than average, okay, that's fine. We'll, we'll give it to you. It's better than a double play and all that stuff they've been saying. But when you've been doing it as much as the Angels have been doing it over the season, then that's where a big red flag comes up and makes you wonder what is going on. What is it that I'm really interested if I could ask anyone about this strikeout situation for the Angels. I don't know if I would ask an Angel player or a coach about the situation. I would want to go up to a Houston Astros pitcher or a Dodgers pitcher coming into the series. What makes you feel comfortable about striking out the Angels? What are you seeing that allows you to get all these strikeouts? Is it an approach thing? Do they feel like that they're sitting on a certain pitch and they're just not going to give it to them and that's why the Angels are striking out so much? Because for for them to be sitting there looking at a bunch of strike three calls, you know, it has to be one of two things. Either A, you're going up there and just guessing and not really having a plan at the plate, or you're too focused and it's an old saying, paralysis by analysis, that you are expecting this pitch in this spot because like the numbers are saying it and the other team is just not giving it to you. And you're not adjusting to that. So I don't know which side of the pendulum it is. Maybe it's a little bit of both, but there's been a ton of strikeouts, ton of strikeouts looking for the Angels. And that is something that has definitely, definitely hurt the offensive production when the offense was killing it. And that's why I I don't know what happened earlier this year. Were they sitting on certain pitches and getting them and they were able to take advantage of it early in the year? And now... Major League Baseball and the other pitchers are now realizing that they're sitting on certain things and they're just not giving it to them anymore. And that's why they're struggling so much at the plate. I don't know. But whatever was working at the beginning of the year, the rest of the league has made an adjustment and the Angels have yet to make an adjustment. Whether, again, whether it's focusing in on a certain pitch and maybe they're too focused and maybe they have to have more of of an idea of a few pitches that the pitcher can mess with or what. But it's just been a really crazy year when you look at the strikeout numbers for the Angels. So after that Shohei Otani masterpiece on Wednesday, that the Angels look to take a series from the Astros Thursday afternoon, early early night, late noon, I don't know, um, I, I, with Reed Detmers on the mound. If you remember, Reed, his last outing was in Baltimore, a very, very good outing, but he was not able to get the W because of the Angels' offense and, you know, bullpen let him down. So looking for another great start from Reed Detmers out there at Angels Stadium. He would get off to a rocky start right after right after the fireworks and the warm-ups are done. He ends up hitting uh, Jose Altuve to start this game. And then right after that, he leads or he lets Jeremy Pena on the bases with a walk. So back-to-back base runners is never a great way to start a game. The very next batter, Alex Bregman, would end up getting on a single. So you had back-to-back-to-back guys on base. And it just seemed like he was really struggling to find that touch. Like I mentioned before, it just seems like Angels pitchers have a real hard time finding the rhythm, finding the the grip of the ball, and just it, the first innings always seems very hard for, for most of these Angels pitchers. The very next batter, Kyle Tucker, ends up singling in Jose Altuve, making the score 1-0. After that, they had a mound visit, and whatever they said or whatever they used to calm him down seemed to work because it was very much 
able to limit the damage after that. He would end up getting the next two guys out. Unfortunately, on that second out was the fielder's choice, and they were able to score one more run in the first inning. So at the end of the first, the top of the first inning, it was 2-0 Houston Astros. But again, you had four straight guys get on base with no outs. So Reed did a very, very good job limiting damage right there with only two runs. The Angels would get on the scoreboard in the bottom of the third, taking advantage of Houston Astros' mistakes like they've been doing pretty much this whole series. And actually, like I said before, a very sloppy series by the Houston Astros, very uncharacteristic of them. You have Shoyo Otani come up, single. Then a wild pitch moves him over. Luis Renjifo walks. Again, when he's not getting hits and when he does get hits, they're 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 very timely. He's getting on base, and when he makes outs, they're they're loud outs. They're hard hit outs. So Luis Renjifo has been a very very good player so far, and I can't emphasize it enough because if we can get one of these middle infield guys to you know perform what we over what we think he's going to perform, that's going to go a long way into the future of building this team and building this depth. You're not going to have to go out and spend a bunch of money on a shortstop or a second baseman. If Luis Renjifo is doing what he's doing all season long, you have to feel comfortable with him making a next step next year at that second base position. And then what? You put Fletcher at third or at shortstop and, and, and maybe you do add a guy for depth reason, but you have to like the trajectory that Luis Renjifo is on right now. Uh, Joe Adele right after that gets ends up getting hit by a pitch to load the bases. And like I mentioned, you got to take advantage of mistakes. So not only was there a mistake about the hit pitch with Joe Adele, but the very next batter is Jonathan Villar. He ends up walking with the bases loaded, which scores a run, making the score 2-1 to one Houston. The Angels will tie it in the very next inning because in the bottom of the fourth, Max Stassi gets on base with a single and then advances to second base with a fielding error, throwing error, sorry. And again, just the Angels taking advantage of Houston Astros' mistakes. Next batter, Brandon Marsh, ends up laying down a sack bunt, moving Stassi over to third with Shohei Otani at the plate two batters later. On the ball four to Otani, the ball gets past Houston Astros catcher Malti Maldonado, which allows uh, Max Stassi to score from third, making the score two to two. So again, Angels not playing the best, but definitely taking advantage of some mistakes from the Houston Astros. And now you just have to wait for that moment that they're able to kind of do it on their own and not depend on a mistake uh, from the Houston Astros. Well, like I said, the game would be tied after four, two to two. Reed Detmers at that point would really settle down and have a very, very good game. After that rough first inning where he gave up two runs, he didn't give up any more runs after that. He ends up finishing the game six innings pitched, five hits, two earned runs, three walks, six strikeouts, and no home runs. And I think for Reed Detmers, that is a big key is the no home runs part. Because that's what's really got him in trouble over this season is giving up the long ball. And to face the Houston Astros with a lineup like they have and not give up a home run, I think is a big thumbs up and a good sign moving forward. He did all that on 95 pitches. And I think, too, it was really good to see him work out of a little bit of a jam in that sixth inning. The sixth inning for, for Detmers wasn't necessarily the smoothest inning for him, but Nevin was able to get let him out there, leave him out there in a tied game and let him work through it. And he proved that he's able to do such a thing and was able to get the final out of that sixth inning. 
Well, after that, you had Andrew Wounts come in for an inning. You had Tapera come in for an inning. And then you had Iglesias still tied 2-2 in the top of the ninth inning come in. And again, a lot of people were kind of wondering what's going on with him, what's going on with Russell, what's going on with his ability to pitch in close, tight games. And he was able to perform very well this outing, going one inning, striking out two. So a very good bounce back outing from the last time on Tuesday. And we'll we'll see how this all plays out. Again, he just hasn't seemed to be like the same pitcher uh, the most consistent pitcher like he was last year. There is obviously some glimpses of him from last year in there. and You see it from time to time, but overall it just doesn't seem like it's the same guy consistent, consistently out there. And that's something that I am really interested in seeing and seeing it play out the rest of the year. So that means the angels and Astros go into extra innings. Obviously, if you're not familiar, extra innings, the ghost runner, Men, uh, a man starts the inning at second base. Angels answer in extra innings with Aaron Loop um, taking taking the bump, taking um, over for Rossell Iglesias. And you know, again, if it wasn't for that ghost runner, this would have been a very good outing by Loop. He ends up getting a fly ball the very first batter, which. And a normal game would be fine, but because of that ghost runner, it was deep enough to advance the guy from second to third. And the very next batter, Jose Pena, would end up singling in that run, making it three to four. Loop would end up giving getting guys out the very next two at bats, um, so limiting the damage. And again, if that base runner is not even there, you're looking at, okay, a base hit and three outs. Very minimal, no damage at all run-wise. But because of that ghost runner, they were able to move the guy over with a long fly ball and then obviously with the single. So the Angels come up to the plate, bottom of the 10th, looking, needing a tie, a run to tie the game. You had Jared Walsh strike out, Max Stassi line out. And this was actually a very good play. This, this ball almost fell between um, with the shift, the second baseman had to work really hard over back to his left and made a great diving catch. If that thing falls with Villar kind of moving at uh, at contact, it would have been a very interesting play at the plate for, for the Angels, but he was able to make a catch. That's two outs, and then Brandon Marsh comes up, strikes out four, strike three, ending the game with the Houston Astros taking it two or three to two over the Angels. And again, they're able to take advantages of Houston Astros mistakes, which is great. But at a certain point, you got to kind of make your own runs. You can't depend on a pass ball or a fielding error or something for the other team to mess up. You do have to put the ball in play and you do have to make your own runs. You can't depend on the other team to, to um, really let you score runs. Cause that's kind of what they were doing. The Astros were almost letting the angels score runs with walking guys with bases loaded, hitting guys with bases loaded. That I mean, you can say what you want, but it doesn't really feel earned <laughs> at that point. But the Angels took advantage of it, but they were just weren't able to get that one for themselves, by themselves. So, again, bright side is that they these last two losses were very close and they could have gone either way. You know, but at this point in the season, you can't really rely on moral victories. You have to start putting victories together if you want to compete for that last wild card spot. 
So we are one series away from the All-Star break um, in 2022, and that is two more games against the Los Angeles Dodgers starting Friday night with Clayton Kershaw on the mound against Patrick Sandoval. I'm actually really interested to see this matchup. It is a little bit of the old legend versus the new up-and-comer, both lefties. Um, it's gonna. I think it's going to be a really good matchup. We'll see how... Patrick does how he controls himself. Again, Patrick being a local guy, you know, going to school to Mission Viejo, growing up in Southern California, I wonder if there's any more emotions behind him facing the Dodgers, facing a team from, you know, his area where he grew up and how he controls that um, adrenaline, especially early on in the game. But definitely something to look out for. Also something to look out for this game, especially this game and maybe even Saturday's game, Where's Mike Trout? Is he going to play? Is he going to come off the bench? Is he going to um, pitch hit? They said he was available for Thursday night's game. He, there was a perfect opportunity in that bottom of the 10th inning to pitch hit Mike Trout, and they didn't do it coming out a little bit later. Nevin said he wasn't available. So it seems like there's a little bit of cat and mouse game going on there, but we'll see what happens. We'll see if Trout goes on the I.O. We'll see if Trout goes to the All-Star game. We'll see all that stuff coming up in the next weekend. But again, Friday's matchup is going to be really fun. Kershaw versus Patrick Sandoval. I'm really interested in that game. And hopefully Patrick can control his adrenaline and focus it in because he has proven that he can pitch as well as any other pitcher out there right now. And for the Angels to have a chance against the Dodgers, they're definitely going to need him to be on his A game. And then we go to the last game of the first quote-unquote first half of the season, even though the Angels are past that first half. You have um, Jose Suarez pitching against Julio Urias um, for the Dodgers. So we'll see how this goes. Again, another another matchup of lefties. So you got lefty versus lefty and the lefty versus lefty. So we'll see how this goes with Brandon Marsh, uh, Jared Walsh, these left-handed batters that have been really really struggling as of late they're going to be facing two really good lefties with Urias and Kershaw this series but again this is going to wrap up the first um, again quote-unquote first half of the season before the all-star break where the Angels will be off Sunday and they'll be back in Atlanta on I believe the next Thursday so there's gonna be quite a bit of a gap between the next Angels games but that's okay because we will still be here. We're going to have a podcast at the end of the weekend, and this is going to be pretty cool. So for you guys that have been following the podcast for a while now, you know that I really like to talk to the Angels beat writers. I've had Sam Blum on earlier. I've had um, Jeff Fletcher on. I've had Rhett Bollinger on um, numerous times, and I and I like to get their opinion about what's going on with the Angels because they're there every day or close to every day. They're in it. They're in the locker room. They see things. They hear things. So I feel like they're the best information guys to get on the podcast. And yes, I I, I watch I, I I watch Angels baseball. I, I read certain things. I see certain things, but I don't know everything. I'm not going to sit here and act like I do. So I love having the guys. Um, on the podcast that know more than I do and it can help not only myself out but you guys as well. So with that being said, I'm recording an interview with both Jeff Fletcher and Rhett Bollinger, one on Saturday, one on Sunday. So if you have a question for either one of them, Rhett 
or Jeff, make sure you call into our voicemail line. That's 951-384-0810. Ask a question and I'll play it for them during the recording. So we did this with Sam Blum. We had a couple of really good questions um, from you fans. So again, any question, ask a question. First half, we're going to be talking about first half with Jeff Fletcher. We're going to be talking about his book uh, about Shoei Otani. I'm almost done with it. So I'm really, really looking forward to talking to him about that. But if you have any first half questions, make sure you uh, call into the voicemail line and leave a questions. Again, that's 951-384-0810. And that will be going on this weekend. And like I mentioned, we'll put out a podcast um, Sunday night for probably just put it out Sunday night and then Monday morning you'll have it out there to listen right before the home run derby on Monday and then you'll have the all-star game on Tuesday still not sure who is going to be the AL starter pitching pitching starter so keep a lookout for that hopefully it's Shoyo Otani he is his last outing proved why he should be the starter for the all-star game and it just kind of matched up perfectly with time off for him to be the starter for the all-star game and seeing that he's not going to do the home run derby this year you know yeah he'll have a little bit more energy and maybe um can get that get that fastball up to 101 or something like that so that's gonna be a lot of fun again i'm gonna talk to Rhett bollinger and oc registers jeff fletcher this weekend if you have a question call our voicemail line number is going to be in description of this podcast. So this is almost the end of the first half and it's been definitely up and down. And hopefully as angel fans, some good will come out of this Um, trade deadlines coming up. We always saw a trade Um, captain chaos. Taylor Wade is gone to the Yankees for a player to be named later. Does that mean it's going to be a guy that is going to make a huge impact on a team? Maybe, maybe not, but, the player to be named can also be Luis Renjifo, and he was the player to be named later in the CJ Crone trade to Tampa Bay. So there's still a bunch of possibilities out there for um, that trade, and it's going to be a while before we realize who won this trade. But you got to think Wade wasn't going to do anything for the Angels. So even if they get a guy with a you know low possibility of making it to the majors, at least they got someone to that might make it or there's an opportunity to turn into something. So um, we'll see how that plays out, but uh, keep uh, an eye out for that and to see who completes that trade. And like I mentioned, are the angels going to be sellers or buyers? And maybe we'll find that out with Jeff Fletcher and Rhett Bollinger this weekend. So thank you again for listening to the all angels podcast. I really, really appreciate you guys going Um, being with me through all the years and this season especially really really uh, feel fortunate to have you guys out there listening to this podcast so i do this for you guys and again if you have any questions you want to ask the beat writers please call into the voicemail line because sometimes i think of questions too late and it's after we already are done and so if you guys have questions that you want answered um, go ahead and, and give us a call so That's going to wrap it up for this edition of the All Angels Podcast. I am your host, Dan Garcia, and this has been another edition of the All Angels Podcast. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows VR training platforms like ForgeFX help students master their skills. 
There's a big learning curve with welding. Virtual reality simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. Professional welder Shayna Ford used VR training developed by ForgeFX to hone her skills as a welder. The more time that you spend practicing it, that's what separates a good welder from a great welder. VR training can help students like Shayna repeatedly practice specific skills. Virtual reality definitely helps because the more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Explore more stories like Shayna's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. I normally find bras to be so uncomfortable and constricting, but Skims has changed that. You know I love Skims underwear, so I finally tried their bras, and Skims has delivered again. Skims bras are worth the hype for the amazing shape and support they give, but what I wasn't expecting was how comfortable they are too. I've tried so many bras in the past, and the main issue that I have is that they weren't supportive enough, to the point where they felt slouchy. I love my Skims wireless form bra because it's so comfortable and supportive. The older I get, the more I care about actually being comfortable in what I wear every day. And with my wireless form bra, I no longer have to sacrifice my comfort for the support I need. Shop Skims bras at skims.com, now available in 62 sizes, 30A to 46H. Plus, get free shipping on all orders over $75. If you haven't yet, be sure to let them know we sent you. After you place your order, select Podcast in the survey, and select our show in the drop-down menu that follows.